Good evening, family. There's a few more seats. All right, let's begin our worship with He Has Made Me Glad. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Good evening. Will you pray with me, please? Most Holy Father, we are glad that we have the opportunity to be here to hear another lesson from your word, to offer prayers, to sing songs, to worship you. And Father, we pray that we worship you in a manner that is pleasing and acceptable. Father, we ask you to forgive us for all of our sins and shortcomings. And Father, we thank you for all the blessings that you bestow upon us. Father, now we have many in this congregation who are sick, some very seriously sick, and we ask that you be with them and watch over them and care for them as only you can, Father. And we pray for their return. We pray for them being restored to health, normal health for them. Father, we also want to thank you that we can assemble here unencumbered, and we pray, Father, that you would continue to look kindly and bless this nation in which we live, even though often, Father, it falls far short of what we know you would have it be. But we pray, Father, that you will be patient, you will hear our prayers, and you will save this land. Father, we thank you for all that you give us. And we pray, Father, that we never lose, never lose sight of the fact that all that we have are blessings from your hand and that you have given us to us to use while we're here on earth. And hopefully, Father, we use them in a manner that is also pleasing. Father, we ask you to watch over those who serve in the military of this country. Father, we ask that you keep them safe. It's a troubled world right now, and we pray, Father, for peace, if that's your will. We ask, Father, that you watch over our soldiers, that you keep them safe, and that you watch over their families who also suffer while they're away and putting their lives on the line. Be with us now in, in our service. We ask you to watch over us and, and keep us safe. And Father, help us to truly appreciate the privileges that we have and to enjoy the opportunity to worship you. This we ask in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Now, don't prepare our minds and our hearts for the Lord's Supper. We'll sing O Sacred Head. <clears throat> o Sacred Head, now. 
supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and he was heard because of his reverence although he was a son he learned obedience through what he suffered and being made perfect he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the Lord or after the order of Melchizedek We remember this each week, and there's two parts of that. There's the, there's the horrid part of what Jesus suffered on our behalf, and there's the joyous part of what we receive because of that. Uh, the eternal life that's offered, the promise that will be kept, the great things. Uh, what he went through is terrible. He learned obedience as a son, and I know we do too. As we remember him, let's, uh, let's remember him with this memorial. Oops, sorry. Dear Lord, as we take this bread which represents your son's body, may we remember his obedience, 
May we remember his reverence to you, always putting you at the highest. We know ourselves, I know part of John's lesson today is how hard that is sometimes when we, uh, things don't work out in the, in the shortcoming, but they work out great in the long run. Help us to keep that. Help us to always know that you are God and that you are always on our side. Help us to remember that the sacrifice of your son because of your love and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Dear Lord, we're, we're thankful for the, the life that your son led on this earth, that he uh, never yielded to sin, never yielded to temptation, although it was absolutely everywhere around him. The uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees that challenged him at every turn they just seemed to stay on his heels told everyone that he was not the son of God, that he was a liar, that uh, that's not the way it was done. It'd be, uh, it'd be easy, to back, easy to backlash at that. He never did. Father, because of that, we know his, his own life is pure, and the blood that he spilt is pure enough to wash away our sins. We're thankful for that. We're thankful for the example. We're thankful for his sacrifice. We ask that you help us to shape our lives each day. Let us live in this world, but I'll give in to it. I'll be part of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This time we're also going to pray for the offering. We got offering in the boxes in the back. We don't pass baskets anymore. Um, that money's there for God's use. It's there to, uh, to help the kingdom grow. And it comes from us. As a portion of what God has given to each of us. Please bow with me. Dear Lord, we're thankful for the uh, we're thankful for the gifts that you've given each one of us. Some of us are uh, we each have different talents. We see that in the, in the workforce, whether it's working with the, the medical, or the mental health care, or as engineers, or in the education system, or the many other jobs that make this world go. We know that you've given each one of us a skill set. That skill set puts food on our table, but also helps the, the church. It helps our congregation to spread your word far and wide. Here locally, it, it helps us to have a building which we can go to and meet. It's the same place 
every week. The lights still turn on, the air conditioner still works. Allows us to pay minister full time. He doesn't have to go out and, you know, lay tile for a day job and just show up here at night with whatever he's got left. He can focus on preaching. He can focus on building up the membership. He can focus on reaching out to the community. We're thankful for that. Father, we're thankful for the, the ability to, to buy materials for the classes, to buy buy some of the groceries for the for the food pantry that happens each couple times a month. We're thankful for the opportunity for benevolence to help those who come up just a little short. We're also thankful to be able to support things like the Maldora Children's Home and um, Betacara and, and um, Madagascar, as well as our missions in, in Mali, Zimbabwe, Nicaragua, and the prisons. Father, we're also thankful to be part of the, the work that's being done at East Orange, a plant church in an area that, that needs it desperately. We're thankful to be a part of that. We ask that you bless these funds to, to always not just have enough, always have more than we need. Help us to uh, find new avenues to grow your kingdom and continue with that work until your son comes again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you're using a songbook and want to mark the invitation song, it will be 947. Now, before Nick brings our lesson, let's stand and sing, Thank You, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. Thank you, Lord, for blessing me. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole and saving my soul. I Church. 
Glad to be with you all again. I like that this is becoming more of a regular thing. I like speaking to you all over here. Um, so I, uh, I've been thinking about this topic a lot lately. And the reason why, and actually I shared this a little bit this morning at East Orange, um, but just curious by a show of hands, how many of y'all use social media at all? <laughs> I was like, you two back there, y'all better raise your hands. I know y'all use it. Uh, okay, so I've always been someone who's had social media, but I've never really used it a whole lot. You know, like I always have it, and then like whenever friends of mine that do use it post stuff, I'm like, oh, cool, look what they're doing with their lives. It's nice, right, to keep, keep up with everybody and everything. I've never been one that's really used it, and that's probably a good thing, because uh, recently, and this brought about the both sermons that I preached today, actually, uh, but I noticed that there was a page where people would post things about Christianity or about the Bible, and a lot of times it's things against it, right, saying why it's not true, stuff like that, and so, of course, I made a mistake of clicking on the comments one time. And then I saw all these things that these people were saying, and I was like, no, i got to defend the gospel, okay? And so I started getting into debates back and forth with these people on social media, on Facebook, of all things. And it just wasn't producing anything, right? It wasn't, it wasn't good, you know? Uh, and ultimately, what it came, kept coming back to when I would have this conversation, whenever I would, you know, type back and forth with people... Um, was truth is relative, right? That's the prevailing thought of today amongst a lot of people, apparently, is that truth is relative. Truth is not absolute. Truth change, changes depending on the situation. Truth changes depending on the circumstances. Truth changes depending on how you feel about the truth. That's pretty much what I kept coming to as I was getting in these debates. Needless to say, I won't be doing that anymore. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> um, ultimately, I remembered what Pilate said. Right? I remembered what Pilate said, which was probably one of the greatest philosophical questions posed of all time. It's recorded now forever in the pages of Scripture. What is truth? Right? And so I wanted to break down who Pontius Pilate was, and pretty much the, the things that were surrounding what brought about this question of what is truth. Uh, and so when we look at who Pontius Pilate is, we can go to Luke chapter 3, uh, and we can see that it was during the reign of Tiberius, Caesar, that Pontius Pilate was uh, governor of Judea, right? And you can see the other details that are in there as well. Annas and Caiaphas were of the high priesthood at the time, Herod. Uh, was Tetrarch over Galilee, Philip Tetrarch over the other regions in the area, right? Okay, uh, and so that's who Pontius Pilate was. Pontius Pilate was a governor over the province that Judea and Jerusalem was in. So what does history say about Pilate? Um, and so I went and I looked, did a little bit of searching, right? He's talked about by several different Roman and Jewish historians, Josephus being the, the main Jewish one that's listed there. Tacitus and Philo are... Uh, both Roman, but they all, all three of them talk about him. Josephus talks about him in pretty great detail. Um, there are also accounts of Pilate by these historians having been at odds with the Jewish people, even antagonizing them, which culminates in Pilate being reprimanded by 
uh, Emperor Tiberius, and that was recorded um, by Tacitus and Philo. Uh, and then we see in Luke chapter 13, verse 1, we are told that there were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices, right? And so these Galileans would have been from Judea, which means that he, this is just further evidence of the fact that he was at odds with the Jewish people at various times, right? There's also accounts of him actually going into the temple of God, Pontius Pilate did, with the Roman battle standard, which is the eagle, you guys know that, right? And it's an image which poses a little bit of a problem for the Jewish people when you bring an image of something into God's temple, right? So he has a history of being at odds with them. So there's also many descriptions given of Pilate relating to his aggressive nature, that he was a very harsh person, that whenever there was a rebellion or something that was particularly troublesome, they would bring Pontius Pilate in and he would crush that rebellion. Pride, violence, greed, and executions without trial, which ultimately ended his reign as prefect in Judea. Okay? Now, the thing that's funny is that to me, he poses one of the most important philosophical questions recorded in the pages of Scripture, which is what is truth, and then for the rest of the time, from probably about 1200 to present time, people debated whether or not he ever actually existed. Which is funny to me, kind of. It's kind of ironic, right? I feel like God has a sense of humor at times. And to me, it's just kind of funny that the guy who posed the question of what is truth then had history debate whether or not he truly existed which is kind of funny, but we did find in 1961, we found this, which is referred to as the Pilot Stone. Uh, this was uh, from, uh, this was an inscription that was found in Caesarea Maritima in 1961. It was actually under the steps of a temple. The inscription says that he was prefect of Judea from 26 to 36 AD. Okay, so we do actually have some physical evidence that was found, although we didn't need that. We had the pages of scripture to tell us that he was real. <laughs> Okay. Uh, that he really existed, that he really had these interactions that we're about to look into with Christ, right? And so we're going to go to John 18 first, just so we can see, right? This is where Jesus was arrested. Uh, he's in uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. He's with his disciples. Obviously, you know, Judas showed up with the group uh, of people uh, and temple guards seeking to arrest Jesus, betrays him with a kiss. Uh, he says, I am, I am he, if you seek me, let these men go. Unfortunately, at this time, they were seeking him for the wrong reason. Uh, this was to fulfill the word they had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Simon Peter, good old Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? And as we know, he had already told them before this point, he had already told them that he was going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners and that he would die and that three days later he would, he would come back. <laughs> so it shouldn't come as a surprise that he was being betrayed right in front of their eyes, but it did. It surprised them, okay? They all left. They all fled him, if you remember. Then he ends up at the trial at Caiaphas' house, right? From there, he gets led from the house of Caiaphas, John 18, 28 through 29, to uh, 
to Pilate's uh, headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. There's irony in that too. That they're about to conspire to kill an innocent person, but they're worried about stepping onto the grounds of a Gentile and defiling themselves and not being able to eat the Passover sacrifice. That is ironic. <laughs> uh, so, Pilate went outside to them. What accusations do you bring against this man? So there's a little bit of back and forth between Pilate and uh, the chief priests, right, who were there accusing him uh, of the things they were, that he claims to be king of the Jews, all these different things. He claims to be Caesar, even though there is Caesar, and we only have a, one king, and that's Caesar, okay? Uh, so after that, Pilate enters his headquarters again. He calls Jesus to him. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Just kind of asks him pretty plainly. Jesus answers, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And see, I'm, I'm a details kind of guy, like to the point to where sometimes I get lost in the details a little bit. Like maybe I focus on the details a little too much. Uh, but I think that there's good things you can find in the small details. This to me is pretty interesting, that Jesus would say to him, do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Because there is no doubt in my mind that with all of the things that were happening in the province of Judea because of Christ. Let's not forget that he had crowds of thousands of people following him wherever he went. Let's not forget that there were several times that there were riots that started <laughs> due to things that Christ was speaking about or things that he had done and things that people were then trying to do to him. And riots began. Undoubtedly, he knew who he was, right? So it's not presumptuous of him to ask if he had heard this of his own accord or had thought of this of his own accord. I thought that was kind of interesting, actually, uh, that Pilate, not being a Jew, Jesus would ask him if he thought he was a king. How much do you actually know about the people you're governing? It's kind of interesting. Uh, okay, verse 35, Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. So what have you done? Right? What have you done? To make them do this to you. This is kind of uncommon. This is kind of unheard of. But he wants to get to the truth, doesn't he? That's what's interesting to me about Pilate that you see through this whole situation. Is that he does want to get to the truth, even though he poses that question of what can truth even be? What is truth? He doesn't want to necessarily sentence Christ unless there's a valid reason for it, right? It becomes evident as we go through this that that's the case. So in verse 36, Jesus answers him and he tells him, my kingdom is not of this world. So I'm not a king, right? That's, that's kind of what he's telling him. No, I'm not a king because my kingdom's not from here. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world, right? So now at this point, I am certain that Pilate is confused. <laughs> I'm certain at this point that Pilate is really unsure of what Jesus is getting at. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Pilate said, oh, I'm sorry, verse 37. Pilate said to him, so you are a king. You're saying that you have a kingdom and you're telling me that it's not of this world, whatever that means. So it means you're a king. Jesus answered and said, you say that I am a king, but for this purpose, right? 
The details matter. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Right? And so what do we know about Christ? What do we know about his birth? What do we know about his life that was why the Jews did not see him for who he was? So what we talk about all the time is that what the Jews expected was they expected a king, right? They expected somebody to come that was royalty. They expected somebody to come that was going to be a warrior. They expected somebody that was going to come and they were going to overthrow Rome. But here's the same guy that so many people were starting to believe that he actually was the Christ. And now he's not only arrested, he's about to be executed. How can that possibly be the Christ? If he's even in this situation. But what's interesting is he says all of this, the whole purpose of my birth, the whole purpose of why I've come into the world is to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says to him, what is truth? What is truth? And I was curious, so I went back and I looked at different Roman and Greek philosophers and the ways that they have thought about truth in the world, and not one of them has a definition. Not one of them has a definition for what truth is, right? And I'm thinking, like, if you're going <laughs> to, if you, if you want to know what it is, what truth is, there should be a definition for it that exists. <clears throat> Ultimately, we know <clears throat> what truth is. We know that truth has a source, right? We know that the source of truth is standing in front of Pilate. We know that the source of truth's name is Jesus Christ. We know that the word of God, those were out of order, that's all right. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. <clears throat> we also know that in John chapter 1, it says that the Word was in the beginning. Right? And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And it also says that that same Word did something. It says it took on flesh. That was Jesus Christ, right? So the source of truth of what he's questioning, of where he says, what is it? It's standing right in front of him, right? And it's also telling him, he's also telling him, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. They hear what I'm saying, right? And you can think back through the Gospels of all the different times where Jesus said, he who's got what? Ears to hear, let him hear Right? Okay? Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So he says, what is the truth? And I was reminded of, of Judges 21, right? Thinking about what was going on with the commenting that I was doing online and, and then what I'm reading here. And, and, and I thought about Judges 21. Oh, well, really, there's several places it says this in Judges, okay? This is the one that I pulled. In those days, there was no king in Israel. And it's also true that in these days that we're looking at, right here in John 18, there's no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. You see, you had this group of people, they called themselves the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they formed what was called 
the Sanhedrin. And they determined what it was you needed to do to be acceptable to God. You see, Jesus had such a big deal, <laughs> had such an issue with that, that he even told them they're the kind of people that they set themselves up as the arbiters. They set themselves up as the gatekeepers and they get to determine who comes in and who doesn't. That when they see people, they load them down with burdens they can't bear and then they don't turn around and lift a finger to help them. And in a manner of speaking, they were doing what was right in their own eyes and not what was right in God's. You see, there's several times throughout man's history that you can see that this is true, not just for Israel, it's true for the world. See, as things progressed since the death of Christ, as truth went out into the world, as the revelation of who he truly was was going out into the world, and there were plenty of people who were believing, but there was also a large portion of them who still did what was right in their own eyes. And now here we are, and we're in 2024 now. We're in 2024. And people are still doing what is right in their own eyes. And there are a lot of people that have no king. They don't recognize the truth that Jesus speaks. That they can't hear his voice. And it's always going to be that way because to an extent, as God's word has revealed to us and told us in Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. So we shouldn't be shocked when the world goes through these cycles like this. I would have never have thought that we'd get got, gotten to the point to where we're questioning whether or not there's more than the two genders God made, but that's where we're at. I mean, this is how confused people are on what truth actually is that they can't tell you there's only two genders. Well, let me tell you, you can go to Genesis. It's in the first three chapters. Male and female, God made them. Man and woman, God made them. Right? But when you get disconnected from your king, as we see what happens with Israel, they started with a king, and it was God. And as they requested that someone of their peers be the one that leads them, that be the king over them, and as they got more and more separated from their true king, who was God, they got further and further from the truth. They were less and less able to see and to hear and to understand, and when Jesus came, they could not perceive. And so they never turned. And so as we continue on, coming back to John 18, after he had said this, that is after what Jesus had said to him, everyone who hears my, and Pilate says, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. <clears throat> he knows he doesn't, he knows he hasn't done anything wrong. He knows that there's literally nothing about the responses, there's nothing about the conversation they're having that he can actually that he can actually say is a legitimate reason to execute this person. He says, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover, so you want me to release to you the king of the Jews. They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Now, what's funny about Barabbas, if you don't know about the translation of his name, it's Bar and Abba together, which means son of the father. 
And the irony is, is that they exchanged the true son of the father for a fake. Now Luke 23, verses 18 through 19, but they all cried out together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. And we see that it was actually the chief priests who went through the crowd and they incited them to request Barabbas's release. So they say, release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. He says, this wasn't just a robber. And I had always thought to myself, why is it that Pilate just keeps going back? He keeps going back. He keeps trying to reason with the crowd and with the chief priests. Why does he keep going back? Because he really didn't want to release Barabbas. You think he wasn't going to have to deal with Barabbas again? He knew. Man, I'm going to release this guy. In two weeks, I'll be throwing him back in prison for him to be awaiting trial yet again. Matthew 27, verses 17 through 19. So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. You see, it says he knew. He knew the real reason. He knew. It was obvious. It was apparent to everyone. They had delivered him up. They knew, he knew the real reason. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now what's interesting is, is this, he's afraid. Pilate, the one who is about to tell Jesus, I got authority to release you or crucify, it says he's afraid. Now, I can't help but think that the reason why he's afraid is because he thinks, and there is a good chance, that there could be some truth to what Jesus is saying. So the Jews answered him, we have a law. You keep wanting to release Barabbas. <laughs> we have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. You see, he was afraid before that. But when he heard that the reason they wanted to have him killed is because he claimed to be the son of God after just having a conversation with him where he tells him, you say I'm a king, but my kingdom's not from here. And you see, and here's the thing about Romans. They did believe in a pantheon of gods. You're absolutely right. They did believe in many gods, but they also believed that there were many times where people who were sons of gods came down and mingled amongst people. This is very believable for him. It's in their culture. Romans were actually pretty spiritual. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, and this is how I know he was taking this pretty seriously. He says, you said your kingdom's not from this world. All right, well, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate, getting frustrated because he's afraid, said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And the best line <laughs> ever delivered. 
Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And after this, we know that he goes back out to the crowd. And he says, I find no guilt in this man. I'm going to just punish him and then release him to you. And they say, nope, we want Barabbas. Nope, release to us Barabbas. And we know that after that, he says, fine, you see to it yourselves. He washes his hands in front of them, says, I'm washing my hands of this. You take it upon yourselves to see that he's crucified. I'll give you what you need, but you got to make sure that it happens, right? We know that in a manner of speaking, or at least in his own mind, he was absolving himself of what was about to happen. So the questions that arise, why did he stall? Okay, and like I said, he recognized there was something different about Jesus. The chief priests and the elders were envious of him and wanted him executed, but he hadn't done anything bad. <laughs> In fact, the only reports you could really get about this guy is that he's supposedly healing people of disease, he's supposedly feeding the poor, he's supposedly... None of that stuff's punishable. So why are they doing it? So why did he want to release him? He tried to release him on three separate times. He even tried to compromise with the Jews so they wouldn't kill him, but they chose Barabbas instead. His wife even confirmed what he was thinking while he was sitting on the judgment seat about to pass judgment on Christ that Jesus was not guilty and he should be released. And lastly, why was he afraid? Because there was some part of him that probably could hear the truth in what Jesus was saying. But it's really easy for us, especially when we are in fear to not choose the difficult thing. It's really easy for us to not choose the difficult thing. All right? And this is kind of going back to what Jesus said, am I not going to drink the cup that my Father has given me? I have to. Otherwise, what he said to Pilate wouldn't have been true either. Peter, put your sword away. <laughs> Those who live by that will die by that. My servants don't fight like the world fights. So what do we take away from all this? Number one, there is a source of truth in this world, but it's not of this world and it has a name. It's Jesus Christ. Secondly, Jesus lived and was sustained by God's will for his life. Jesus lived to die. That was his purpose. For this purpose I was born, for this purpose I came into the world to testify and to bear witness about the truth. And the ultimate witness of that truth is his resurrection from the dead. Jesus lived and was stained by God's will for his life. Can we say the same? Do we crave accomplishing the work God has given us? And it's different for everybody, but do we, do we crave accomplishing that work God has given us as though we need it to survive. And I'm reminded of John chapter 4, and I, I can't help but think that these things would come up in the minds of the disciples when they thought back on the life that they got to live with him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food 
is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do we take that same stance? That we literally crave accomplishing God's work in our life, whatever that may be. Do we have a desire for it like we do food? And I'm telling you that if I had that kind of desire, as you can see, I clearly have a desire for food. So, man, I'd be doing great things for God if I had that same kind of desire. Uh, but I'm, I'm striving to get there. I'm striving to get to that point. So the other question is something that Jesus said to Pilate. Now, those who are of the truth hear my voice. Do you hear his voice today? Do you hear the truth in the words of Scripture? And if you do, then don't wait anymore. Answer the call if you hear his voice. If you feel any need to respond, won't you come all together? We stand and we sing. Jesus is tenderly calling me home, calling today, calling today. Why from the sunshine of love will thou go farther and farther away? Robinson, Trey's waiting for a cardiac evaluation on, on, what is, on his symptoms. And Bill Larner also uh, is going to have, a, have a, a bladder biopsy on an out surgery. And uh, Dennis Reichert is going to have a spinal tap Wednesday to help diagnose neurological problems. I, I practiced all week, all afternoon. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brenda Scott has fell and she's in a wheelchair and she's she's uh, not doing good at not doing good at all and please can please continue to, to to pray for her tomorrow is the is the food pantry the food pantry giveaway the the, the food starts being passed out at one o'clock but the work starts much earlier so if you can come uh, and, and help get everything set up please please, please do that. And this month, our food pantry is macaroni and cheese and spaghetti and spaghetti sauce. The goals are 400 boxes of each. And
and we have one other special note from, from John Fisher called. His mother has broken her hip and she can't drive and she needs a ride to Melbourne um, Wednesday. If anybody is, is available, please, please let us know. And it's, it's, it's one o'clock in the afternoon and, and John says he can't get off work. And uh, he, he, if we could help him, that, that, would be a big, that would be a big help. Thank you. Now, before we're led in our closing prayer, let's stand and sing. Give thanks. <clears throat> Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ, His Son. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks for this beautiful world that you've given to us for all of the all of the many years you've watched over it and taken care of it and and you keep everything balanced so that we can have a have a nice life here father we we're, we're prayerful for all of those that are on our on our sick list and this evening we're especially prayerful for trey and, and mitzi robinson and for for bill larner we're, we want to lift up a special prayer for brenda scott as, as she's suffering at, at her home. Father, we, we ask you to, to, to be with so many people that are up north that, that are, are fixing to face very cold weather. And we pray that, that you'll continue to be with them and, and, and look over them. In Jesus' name, amen.